Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. So the international break is over, the Reds are returning. If we're placing the top four is the aim, and with Lewis Tiaz on the comeback trail, do they have the firepower needed? Plus, with another year of questions to get stuck into, I'm here with James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones. Well, let's start with those three words that we always start with. I'm going to go to James first, because he's been away. <laughs> um... Intensity, belief, bravery. That's the, the three things I want to see at the Etihad on Saturday. We've lacked intensity. I don't doubt the bravery, although at times they've they've looked a bit semi-detached. But yeah, definitely, I, I think I'll agree with that. Andy? Um, going on forever, because this international break for some reason has literally felt like about two years. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think we'll find out Saturday, but it feels <laughs> like we've still got another three, four weeks to wait before we even play this game. It does seem like a particularly long one. Time stretching out. And Kiva? Raise it, Reds. And that's because Man City are the one team Liverpool can raise their bar even higher when they play against. We've seen some of the best performances of this Liverpool team on the Egan Clock against Man City. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about them in relation to this game you know, shortly. But let's see what's been said on the Walk On Facebook group. Well, Glyn Robinson said, we'll smash them. Well, yeah, well, yeah, be nice, Glenn. Spit bold. Richard Jervis, must not lose. A little bit less uh, bullish there, I think. Pat Dixon, not feeling confidence. Uh, we're heading in that direction. And Pete Jones, 4-3 Liverpool. Well, look, Pete, I'll be honest. If we're going to see seven goals in a game against the Manchester club, I'd rather have a different sort of scoreline. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Let's talk about goals, because it's a 12.30, isn't it? And this case where they failed to score in the last four, with Manchester City there. I mean, the best games against Manchester City have been under floodlights, you know, in the Champions League, where they've, you know, they've lifted the game. Um, early afternoon, everyone waking up, struggling with hangovers. And that's only Jürgen. James, have we got the firepower to do it? Liverpool certainly have, yeah. I mean, it isn't. It isn't ideal, is it? I know that you don't want to go looking for excuses, but 12.30, it is the slot I think pretty much every player and every manager wants wants to avoid. And, and it is a slot in which Liverpool have consistently underachieved this season. What I would say, and I think the difference with this one compared to especially the ones against the, the newly promoted teams is this isn't the kind of game where players will struggle to be up for. Um, but I don't think that'll be the case on Saturday because it is Manchester City, because of the history that these two groups of players have had, where for so long they've almost inspired each other to hit ever-increasing heights. Um, you know, Of course, that shifted this season with, with Liverpool not being anywhere near City's level consistently. But as we saw in that game in Anfield back in October, 
Liverpool can still, you know, have their number when they perform to their capabilities. So, um, yeah, and in fact, it's it's the bigger games, isn't it, that have brought out the best of Liverpool this season. Yeah, that's one of the concerns, though, isn't it? You know, it's at the best they were relentless. It didn't matter who they were playing. You know, the big clubs, the, well, the you know the less big clubs, let's say, because we don't want to we don't want to mistake a call on anyone small clubs. You know, certainly not those across the park. Um, but you'd rather see them keeping the same level. And let's face it. We'll never forget the 7-0 against United. I mean, we'll still mention it. We're still talking about it. But wouldn't we have preferred to have spread the goals round and and to be more consistent, especially, you know... I mean, let's face it. When you win 7-0, every goal after the first one is kind of meaningless in, a, in one way. You, know, you only need the one that wins it for you. And that's the thing. They haven't come up with those winning crucial goals often enough, have they, Kiva? I mean, we've talked about... The midfield to talk about the defence, but has the attack, has the attack done all it should have done this season? Well, I think Liverpool have certainly been lacking in goals in comparison to previous seasons, haven't they? Feels like a drop off. And you mentioned that seven nil against United and in the league as well. There was a nine nil against Bournemouth. I wonder how much um, maths is not my strong suit here, but how much of a percentage that makes of Liverpool's overall goals for the season so far. If one of you wants to scribble away like you said on countdown and figure that out. Why I'm still chatting? That'd be great. But I do think that Liverpool. Do you think? Do you think any of us would be working in journalism if we were good at maths? No, it's, words are our thing, I know, but we have to be good exactly, at maths now exactly. with all the data and everything else. But I do think Liverpool have almost suffered for those like high performance games at times because they've been able to sort of like find their rhythm in moments of the season, but then tapping into that in the next game is the most important thing to do. And they've struggled to do that. I think after Bournemouth was it the Newcastle game where they sort of got over the line with the what feels like the only late goal of the season. And then obviously after beating United, they struggle to get past Bournemouth where you would like maybe, you know, three nil against United at home and four nil away to Bournemouth would have been quite good. His producer guy, 16 of 47 goals in those two games. Might be wrong, but I make that 34%. That is ridiculous. That's a, th- like, a third of the goals, isn't it? You know, I mean, a third of the goals in two games. And I, I, it's just, it's frustrating in a sense when you see the, the firepower they've got there. I mean, and, and Salah, you can't say he hasn't, you know, he hasn't done his bit because over 20 goals again this season. Is everyone else mocking in as they should do, Andy? I don't think so, but I think there's obvious obvious caveats to that, isn't there? In the fact that Liverpool's front line has been sort of dogged by injuries all the way through. And and while, you know, performances from certain players haven't necessarily been consistent enough or, you know, at standards potentially you would expect, the, Liverpool have had to do without, you know, Diego Jota and Luis Diaz for a large portion of, of this season. I think you do have to factor that into, you know, they would be, or you would hope they would have been significant contributors in terms of goals. But you also look at the, you know, Cody Gakbo's come in in January. He's got a lot to learn in a very short space of time with a lot of pressure on him and the form that Liverpool were in at the time when he comes in that, that suddenly he needs to, to hit the ground running. And I think it's, it's probably unfair to expect every single player you buy to, to hit the ground running. Nunes is, on the other hand, has, you know, had fits and starts, if you like, but we've still not, really seen that consistent run of, of goals in games from him, I don't think yet. The consistent flow of goals that we were hoping he would yeah, he would hit. Yeah. That he looked like he might be starting to just before the World Cup and then comes back and felt like he missed about 90 chances, didn't he, in the first couple of games, but couldn't get that goal. And there's been goals here and there, but not, you know, not really that consistency um that we were hoping for. When you've got a 
what is a very very new attacking unit. You know, even you know Jota has, has been there for a couple of years now. Diaz, you know, only had six months, and then you bring in two more players. You go away from the the front three that was so potent in in Mane, Firmino, and, and Salah. And Salah has chipped in with goals and, and maybe performance wise, not or involvement in games is, at times has has been you know quite you can put a question mark behind. But I think when you when you're trying to put all that together, laying how everyone plays, laying the roles, the, the people behind them, you know Trent trying to find Diaz, the way he found Mane for example, Nunes the same. There's been a lot of transition in that area, and we, you know we talk about the transition at Liverpool's other areas probably need to go through. This feels like this is the transition period for the. For the attacking players, and also we've we got a bit on the you know the the classic Liverpool roller coaster. What's well, a classic football one? It's not just Liverpool, is it? Like Nunes comes in, everyone says, "Oh, he's not good enough," and then, "Oh, he's brilliant, he's brilliant." In fact, he's somewhere in between. Same with Gakpo; they're still learning. But we can say all this. But James, the time for excuses is over. There is no <laughs> margin forever now. We can go, oh yeah, the midfield's this, they're getting all the the attacker and scoring, you know, the defense. No more excuses. This is it. This is the moment. Yeah, and I'm sure that that will be the message from Klopp going into the weekend that you know that there is now just one shot really at trying to salvage something from what has been a pretty disastrous season. And certainly not the one that anyone envisaged how things would pan out, but there is still something that can be taken from it. But the margin for error is incredibly small, and and everyone has to take responsibility if Liverpool can achieve that, because I do think it has been under the radar. You know, there's been such a big focus on the midfield issues and at times how vulnerable Liverpool have looked defensively in terms of how you can get at them. But it also has been a big issue, the fact that in not enough games, Liverpool, you know, Liverpool's attack just hasn't functioned to a point where they've been able to to paper over the cracks, which, you know, with the attacking talent Liverpool have got, you know, that should have happened on numerous occasions, you'd like to think, you know, in terms of, thinking, well, you know, yes, there were clear weaknesses in other areas, but, you know, when you've got players of this calibre, you can still win without playing particularly well. But, yeah, when you think we're, you know, at the start of April coming up and Salah's the only Liverpool player in double figures in terms of Premier League goals, and then you've got Nunes and Firmino on eight, and then, and then you've got, you know, own goals level with Gakpo on four. And, you know, and, and then you start going down the list and you, and you realise just how how little comes from that midfield three as well. So yeah, that that's you know it's it, I mean you'd, you'd like to think with the options that Klopp has got now, you know that that competition for places which he hasn't really had because of all the injuries as Andy talked about earlier. That should you'd like to think provide provide a real lift because now you know with, with Diaz being back available and, and Jota hopefully regaining some rhythm after missing so much football, players know that if you're not delivering, then you, you're going to be watching from the sidelines. You know, it's one of those things where when the sides were playing well and the front three were scoring, you forget how little, how few goals come from the midfield in the system Klopp's plays. And a time when the forwards are um, firing, someone needs to step up. Unfortunately, Kiva, the only people to step up are the forwards. Yeah, you get you want your goals from wherever you can get them at times, don't you? And certainly this season, Liverpool could have benefited from more goals from Midfield. I think the last highest um, goal scoring um, season from midfield was Oxley Chamberlain. Did he get about eight one season, a couple of seasons, a few seasons ago? Mm. I remember one against Genk in particular. It was absolutely outrageous, I think, if my memory serves me there. 
but Liverpool don't really have that. And I think on the Klopp, that's not really been necessary all the time. But I think this season, just to see a midfielder pitching in and stepping up, I mean, would it be asking too much from them, I guess, because they've been struggling so much as a a unit for them to step in and score goals. By Chesich had a little go, didn't he, himself, which I think pretty much gave Liverpool three points in that game, even though it was to go 3-1 ahead against Villa. But I think more goals from around the pitch would have helped out in this time. I think we're seeing a drop-off from, obviously, Mane's absence and different things. It just hasn't been clicking. It's like we discuss different things all the time. It's good to put that little focus, I think, on the attack and Liverpool maybe not scoring as many goals as they should have because we know they can and they're capable of it in bursts and then we don't see it from them. Then it kind of like disappears. Like They looked a completely different team against Bournemouth to the one that had just ran riot against United. And I think that's been the worry this season at Liverpool. You don't quite know what team's going to show up. Everyone's having a domino effect on each other of sort of this Liverpool team aren't clicking and connecting in the way that we've seen them do this time last year, especially. Well, yeah, the only one you can really say has had a, a, a good season overall is Allison, and he's made mistakes. This is Walk On brought to you by The Athletic. <laughs> The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. Tony Evans here with James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones with walk-on from The Athletic. Well, the big thing we can look forward to this weekend, well, we look forward to any game after an international break, but Luis Diaz is back. For them to get in the top four, he's got to play a massive role for the rest of the season, doesn't he, Andy? I think so, and I think it's... It's a little bit harsh on him, isn't it? Because he's he's had such a long time out and he's going to have to kick that rust off in a, in a sense. But equally, Liverpool need him to essentially do exactly what he did when he arrived last January and that he took, what, five minutes to become brilliant um, and then remain brilliant for the rest of the season. It's a big ask for a player who's coming back from such a long layoff because they haven't got that match fitness. They've got to build that up. And it'd be interesting to see how Klopp tries to, I guess, use him as effectively as possible, especially in those in those opening games, because I'd, I'd be amazed if he's suddenly able to do, you know, 90s straight away, you know. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think at that point, we should go over to a team news guru, James, and who's he going to play? Who's the front three? Come on, tell us. <laughs> if only I knew. It's, it's Wednesday afternoon. So, no, I think... Um... I, I agree. I think I think there is a danger of probably going overboard in terms of the significance of of Diaz's return. I think he will have a big part to play during the running, but but the idea that he's gonna gonna rock up, start the game at the Etihad, and and inspire Liverpool to a a famous victory, I think is probably a bit overly hopeful. Um, what's I what's the state of Nunes then? So I think well, I think for a start, I think in terms of Diaz, I think Diaz will be on the bench. I'd be. That's probably the most likely course, I think, because he, he, he trained fully for the first time on Tuesday. And what's that kind of nearly six months since he, he played any competitive football? I think he had two sessions when they were over in Dubai uh, during the World Cup before he broke down again and then underwent surgery. So I think obviously the intensity of the sessions grow over the course of the week. Thursday will be the first real session Klopp's had with the full squad since they've all got back from the internationals, I think. Salah and Andy Robertson, probably amongst the kind of the last group to return. And then, yeah, in terms of Nunes, yeah, Liverpool seem pretty hopeful that he that he will be okay. I think um, he's just in the final stages of his 
of his rehab with, you know, he had to have stitches in a, in a wound in his ankle that was cut against Real Madrid. So they've obviously had to give that time for, for it to heal up. And again, no final decision on Nunes until, until the back end of the week, but certainly not hearing that he's not expected to feature um, against Man City, just the same as with Diaz, that they won't be wanting to take any risk because it is such a, Huge week, isn't it? As as big as City away is, you've got Chelsea away on Tuesday night and then Arsenal at home the following Sunday. So, yeah, it's not just a case of, right, throw them into Saturday and hope for the best because the worst possible scenario would be for one or both of them to suffer some kind of setback. I think just in in the case of Diaz as well, just just to go back to the the original question, I think we were talking about how how Liverpool will be able to use him. I think what... What Liverpool have struggled with this season is having those, you know, that influence from the bench to come and affect games in, in an attacking sense. Yeah. They've not really had, they've not had many options to go for to, you know, to change that front three without sort of significantly weakening it or you're taking off a goal threat for someone who's not as threatening. So, you know, when you're removing like a Nunes, for example, when, when Jostin and Diaz weren't there and we didn't have Gakpo, suddenly that makes a massive difference where I think while you're building Diaz's fitness up, we know how explosive he is. We know what he can do, the trickery, the the unpredictability of him. If you've got him for like like the last twenty minutes of games, I think that what Liverpool have struggled with a little bit this season, I think, is is that final half an hour, the final twenty five minutes where they've not really looked like going on and, and sort of winning a game or you know changing the scoreline. And I think if you've got someone like Diaz in, in these in these early weeks, especially you know if you're in the game, whether that's you know goal down or level or you know, lead and, and and sort of you're under a bit of pressure. To have someone like him to bring on, which which hasn't been an option for most of the season, is is going to be massive for Liverpool because, you know, opposition cannot take him lightly. Yeah, and the same goes for Jotic either, doesn't it? You know, I mean, get him getting him up to speed will be the same situation. He could do with a goal, couldn't he? It's been a while since I've seen Diogo Jota run away in celebration, obviously out for such a long time and has been an important player for Liverpool, we know, since he joined the club right now, he looks a little bit rusty and I think maybe that's to be expected and why James makes the great point that Lewis Diaz, as much as we want him and I'm desperate to see him have that big impact uh, in the coming weeks, it will be a, a part of his just sort of getting back into it as well. As I was saying from Jota, it's, he's not doesn't look 100% to me, he doesn't have that sort of Diogo Jota energy. I think that will come and you know if that can be at the end of... This season, the beginning of the next, I think Liverpool will be pretty patient and, and happy for whenever it does. But his, his drop-off at the minute is maybe starting to be a little bit of a concern, but not too much given, obviously, the big thing was getting him back fit and playing. And I think he'll just build into goals eventually, won't he? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that I always think is that you're relying on your strikers to bail you out when things aren't going well. Because they're the flair players, they're the stars, you know. As much as we, we love what Trent does from fullback, he does a prom fullback. Andy Robbo, you know, going down the left, but he's got to come from deep. You've got your strikers there. And in the great games against City, where Liverpool have had real success, it's always been the strikers, the front three have set the tone. Chan for Coutinho, they're opened up again. It's put in oh, by Roberto Firmino. That's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. Manchester City cut to ribbons. Well, you know, you listen to that, and that wasn't a very, very good Liverpool side in November 2015, was it? But, you know, they, they rampaged all over City at the Etihad and murdered them. 
the significance of that is it was kind of Klopp announcing himself with this like free flowing mad attack that would go on to develop and grow and and be superb for years. That team had the likes of Mignolet, Klein, Skirtle, Lovren. We've got better players than that now, James, and we've got a better attack. Okay, City are going to be better, but it's still, is the onus on the attack to save the season? Uh, yes, yeah, I think it is to a to a high degree because we know that there's so much more to come. There's so much more that, that can be achieved in at that top end of the pitch. If you know, you look at look at Nunes as a perfect example in terms of I think he's had a decent first season at Liverpool, not exceptional, not dreadful, somewhere in the middle. But he, I think he can he'd be looking at it and thinking, well, you know, 14 in all competitions he's got to his name. There's absolutely no reason why he can't get that into the, the lower to mid twenties and, and and change the conversation a lot in terms of you know if, if he was to be the man that fired Liverpool into the top four. The same with Gagpo in terms of you know signs before the international break of him really getting to grips with what Klopp wants from him. You know you've got Firmino desperate to to sign off on a high before he starts a new chapter in the summer and you know Salah as well be you know under under any illusions that. He hasn't come close to to getting the kind of numbers that we've we've come to expect from him. So um, yeah, I mean that game at City in, in 2015, it was it was very memorable, wasn't it? Because it was it felt like the day that it was you know this this is what Klopp had promised in terms of the high octane football. You know the the way that Liverpool pressed as a unit. You know it was certainly you know, pretty much the kind of the Firmino arrival, the false nine that Klopp. You know, was talked about people should be writing books about how he kind of reinvented that role. Um, but it was a it was a very different Liverpool, wasn't it? In terms of those names you just rattled off there, Tony. You know, Liverpool Liverpool didn't have anywhere like the quality that they've got now. And and they, and it was I think that brand of football with that team where they won crazy games like you know the, like the five four at Norwich. was unsustainable. You only had to look at the Europa League final at the end of that season when Liverpool were absolutely out on their knees because they had they had nothing left. And I think gradually over time, we saw that style develop because Klopp knew that you just couldn't go absolutely hell for leather for, for 60-odd games in a season. You, you were just asking for trouble. And you, know, you compare that to when Liverpool won the title and how good they were at going one or two up and just taking their foot off the gas and controlling games. You know, and that's another thing that they've lost this season. You'd say they're neither they're neither what they were initially under Klopp, which was this kind of crazy gung ho team that were capable of winning teams, winning games by by kind of tennis set scorelines, compared to um, you know, that, and they're not the team that could control games. They're kind of stuck somewhere in the middle at the minute, but they need to one way or another. Which you know, I take either at the minute. I take I take five four or. Or a nice calm one or two nil because um, you know the, the problem at the minute has been the glaring deficiencies and the, the glaring inconsistency of a team that can put seven past United and then lose at bottom club Bournemouth the following week. Well, that's the point that we probably need to pick up on here: the fact that both those teams that could get into these mads, you know, last goal wins like at Norwich, you know, last minute, you know, and the the ones that could kill games had the mentality. Where if they went behind, 
they were confident enough they could get back into it. They had that Klopp belief, and that's what he brought to the club. And it's been amazing to watch it. But that's the main thing that seems to have eroded for me, Kiva. And when that happens, yes, you can blame the players. But at some point, you've got to go back to the manager and say, why isn't this working, Jürgen? Come on, this is what you do. You make people believe. You make the players believe. You make the fans believe. Why does no one believe now? I think that's a worrying thing, isn't it? Because we're thinking about that game against City when no one expected Liverpool to go there and put in that performance. Firmino getting his first goal, Coutinho just looking brilliant. I think Skittle getting a goal and just the bedlam and the excitement of, oh my God, Liverpool might actually be, something might be happening here. And if you can do that with that team and those players like he did in patches in that first season, then why can't you do it now with the players that you've had around for such a long time? And I think that sort of obviously... He can, and they are doing that at times, but it's getting the best out of them every week. And is it just a case of doing that over and over again that it almost becomes tired? And James mentioned there at the end of that first season and Liverpool looked out on the feet. And I think we're getting that now, but just over the course of a season. That's what Jürgen Klopp has to re-instill in this team is that energy and belief of those tactics and just how... He wants them to play for each other as a collective because when we do mention the attack, it's important to say that because you need a balance across the pitch and not for it to just be Mohamed Salah scoring three goals every week because I think that's in a way not sustainable as much as you'd like to just see them grinding out games and like James mentioned, taking the foot off the gas. We haven't seen that enough from them. You know, We haven't seen the, the board go up for James Milner and think, right, Liverpool just going to see this one out here. It's... James Milner's coming on and it's like Liverpool need to get something out of the game and it's that's where Liverpool are at the minute. And we know that can change quickly and I think that's the hope Liverpool fans have carried with them all season, whether they should have or not, but I think they'll they'll keep believing. Well, yeah, and the thing is, funny you should mention that game, James. That was one of the, the games where I really had the, the game in Basel against Sevilla. I had real doubts about Klopp when they went behind and he turned he was trying to rouse the crowd. And I'm sitting there in the press box going, it, it's not about the crowd, mate. Sort the players <laughs> out on the pitch. And I'm getting that feeling again. I'm getting that Jürgen sorted out there, sorted out and sorted out quick because things are getting pretty bad. And you know what, though? He proved he can do it. Let's hope he can prove he can do it again. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. In towards Gerrard! Hello! Hello! Here we go! This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic, with me, Tony Evans, James Pearce, Kiva O'Neill and Andy Jones. And just like on Monday... We're going to finish today with a listener observation. The last one on Monday sent me into a meltdown. The listener suggested the unthinkable. What was it? Selling Salah and Van Dijk. You've got to love this. Anyway, thanks to everyone who's got in touch with us. And if you do have a question, opinion, anecdote, or anything else you want to share with us, please get in touch with us by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. If you can send a voice note, even better. Don't be shy. We want to hear what you sound like. We want to give you a platform to ask your questions rather than me needing to trip over myself reading them. Today's question comes from Michael, who's out in Germany. Thank you, share, Michael. That's about as much as I know in um, German. Although I've been there a few times for matches, and it's a great place to watch football. Anyway, Michael says, As much as I love the idea of Liverpool and Jude Bellingham, I don't think you should join and hear me out. It's not for monetary reasons, but for the future health of the lad. 
He's played the most amount of minutes at the age of 19 among anyone, including the likes of Pedri and former players like Owen, Rooney and so on. It's frightening how much he's played. If he does come to Liverpool, I'm afraid I don't trust the coach to use him sparingly and as a luxury when even Thiago has to run round like a bull. Look at the players who've left the system in their early 30s with lots of injuries and I worry the poor lads will be fighting in- injuries at 25 just like Owen. The system's too demanding and just, for example, last season, Pedri played so much for Barcelona that he started getting injured fairly regularly at 19. That's not normal, is it? I just hope he has a long career like Ronaldo, Messi, rather than like Owen or Rooney. What are your thoughts? Would love to hear them. Um, I didn't expect we don't want Jude Bellingham because we care too much about him. James, do you care if he gets injured? <laughs> Depends who he signs for this summer. No, I um, it wouldn't it wouldn't put me off to be honest, and um, I certainly wouldn't if if he doesn't pick Liverpool if that if that doesn't happen this summer, I wouldn't be thinking, well, oh, well, he's got too many miles on the clock already, didn't want him anyway. You only have to look at those numbers that have been banded around. I know Andy wrote a piece on it this week that he has played a a crazy number of games for someone who doesn't even turn 20 until June this summer. But I also think he's he's just an incredible athlete as well. He's not a normal 19-year-old. You think a 19-year-old still being quite slight and with real kind of growing to do, but you look at him and he, there's nothing about Jude Bellingham that the way he is physically and the way he conducts himself and the way he handles himself off the pitch that I, th- I think he, he does feel like he's a he's a fair bit older. And I know the, the reader there mentioned Rooney and you think, well... He did all right, didn't he, Rooney? You know, I mean, it's like... <laughs> for a start, he did all right. And he, and he did, yes, play a crazy number of games. And yes, he did tail off towards the back end of his career. But I'd also say... I'm not convinced that the Wayne Rooney and Jude Bellingham have the same dietitian um, <laughs> and, and don't quite live their lives, I don't think, in exactly the same way. And I think now with, with the way that you, know, you only had to read Jordan Henderson's quotes this week about you know he's never met anyone so young who conducts himself like Jude Bellingham does and the way he lives his life and fully committed to football. And with Owen, you, you kind of knew, didn't you, with, with Owen, with his explosive pace, that if he got a bad hamstring injury... Then, as we know, you know, one one bad hamstring injury tends to lead to another, and, and that obviously severely hampered him. But um, you know, Bellingham is just an all-round athlete, isn't he? I don't think I don't worry about the number of games he's he's played. I actually think the fact he's played so much at young age just shows what a unique talent he is. Yeah, Andy, I. I... Pay particular attention. I was at Wembley for England Ukraine on Sunday for me sins, and yes, I did boo the anthem. Yes, I did. Um, but it struck me that Bellingham's game isn't about pace. It's um, it's about intelligence. Now you've done a deep dive on him. Uh, what's your view on this subject? Yeah, so it was it was off the back of um, Stephen Gerrard's comments because obviously there was a, a lot of talk afterwards of of the post match where where Gerrard sort of come you know said that Bellingham was was well ahead of him and where he was. You know, at nineteen, and and that's you know mainly a big part of that is is the physical as- attributes and sort of I'd, when I did the piece, I spoke to a couple of people who described Bellingham's body type as as already a, like a mature adult. So it's it's not as James sort of mentioned, it's not what you would expect of a of a nineteen year old. And if you look back at pictures of, of Gerard when he was nineteen, he's still that you know that skinny type who's who's about to grow into his body or still preparing to grow into his body and. What the people I spoke to were sort of saying is that 
by playing so much, he's already almost built up a robustness to the amount of football. Now, it's one of them, isn't it? You can never predict the future and, you know, you can never predict when an injury might happen and that therefore could be a snowball effect. But the point that, that they were sort of making was that he's already played so much that his body is now, you know, and the attributes of the type of position, as you mentioned, you know, Owen, that sort of explosive type of player, Bellingham's not that type of player. He's much more in midfield. Your game's got to be different than than sort of being the one to run in behind and being quick and getting away from from defenders in behind and stuff. Bellingham's game's a lot different and he's got all the attributes that you need to be, you know, that athletic style, uh, the aerobic capacity, the physicality, all that type of stuff already. Yeah, can I ask you another question on that? Yeah. Do you think if he had so many miles on the clock playing in the Premier League, which is, you know, everyone says it, managers, players who come over, is much more physical and takes a greater toll on you. Do you think it'd be a different situation then? It could be, definitely. The Premier League is is well known as being, I think, the most competitive and that you can't sort of take your foot off the gas for any team where I think, and that it's not a disrespectful comment on Germany, I think there's, there's certain teams who you, you probably have an easier game against, if you like, than, than in the Premier League. So I think that potentially could be, but equally... When you look at him physically, I think he's built that up, and it would have he would have built that up in any league that he, he's played in, and therefore he's he, he won't come to the Premier League if he comes to the Premier League next season and suddenly find himself getting out whistled or there would be probably more work, and especially if he comes to a, into a Klopp system and he's asked to do what I guess Klopp's midfielders in the past have been asked to do in terms of the amount of work they need to do in you know in that area. That might be an area where you could. We could potentially put a question mark, and Liverpool certainly aren't spending 130 million as, as sort of the the listener mentioned to to sort of manage him. They need him to be playing week in week out every single game as the you know the centre of Liverpool's midfield. So that that's an interesting point that and and you look at sort of I guess Fabinho maybe an example this season of how he sort of his levels have dropped and is that because of a result of three or four years playing in in a club system for example. But equally, what you would say is that Bellingham. Okay, he's got loads of miles on the clock, but I'd, I'd certainly take three or four years of prime Jude Bellingham, and I think that Liverpool would be in a much better position if that was the case, rather than if you know if the, if they said, "Oh, actually, he's he's played a lot already. We might just have to pass on this one." You you'd run him into the ground for three years, wouldn't you, Kiva? I would. <laughs> Absolutely not. You look after him, don't you? He's going to be you know one of the best midfielders around for a long time to come, and I think. Borussia Dortmund will not be playing him in games if they think that it's going to be any risk to a long-term injury or something that would damage their superstar midfielder who's going to make them a lot of money probably this summer. I don't think they'd be using him in that way. I think they'd take good care of him. And I think he takes good care of himself as well. You've seen that selfie Jordan Henderson put up and think they were in like a ice bath or something like that. I think he's someone that is wise on and off the pitch in his he wants to be around for a long time and he's going to be someone who plays over 100 games for England and he's going to play a lot more football. We know that. I think Liverpool will take care of him as well if he does join. So, you know, why doesn't he just come on over? Uh, isn't it that easy? And and Liverpool yeah. are, you know, I think the type of team to make that big call. Jurgen Klopp, if Jude Bellingham's anywhere near that red zone of minutes he shouldn't be playing, then I think Klopp's not going to risk him because why would you risk someone like that? You've got them and they're good enough to be playing in your team. You don't you don't want to risk them. And I think Liverpool have been pretty good uh being quite wise with young players. And you look at Stefan Bychetic at the minute and the injury that's ended his season, very much a way of Liverpool giving him a lot of time to get back to 
full fitness. And I think that's the way that they would treat a young player or an older player as well. So I think Jude Bellingham would be well looked after at Liverpool. Let's hope that makes him want to come. Well, Jude, you know what? We will. I was only joking about running you into the grounds. We care for you. We'd love you. The cop would love you. Everyone has welcomed you. And you know what? You're going to go to one of those like ugly, evil clubs like City or Real Madrid. They don't care about you. They'll move on to the next Galactico. Come to Anfield. Everyone will love you. And that's all from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James, Kiva and Andy, as well as you for joining us. And remember, you can get in touch with us by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. We'll see you all on Monday, hopefully with three points in the bag. Jürgen, sort it out, lad. Sort it out and sort it out quick. The Athletic.